Hello and welcome. You're listening to the Diversity Matters Show, the podcast where every voice is welcome and every story is celebrated. Join Mike and his guest as they deep dive into the heart of inclusion, equity and diversity. They explore whether real change is happening and open up honest dialogue that touches on various DE and I subjects. From inspiring conversations to challenging ones, with the hope of sparking thought-provoking discussions. Now, here's your host, Mike Seeley. Welcome to another episode of Diversity Matters. This month, we celebrate UK Black History Month, and I want to highlight a few individuals who are positively raising the profile of the Black community in the UK through their hard work, creativity, and talent. My guest this week is Julian Hall, who is the founder and CEO of multi-award winning company Ultra Education CIC, a social enterprise that exists to inspire positive and lasting change in the lives of young people who would otherwise suffer from the disadvantage of their starting point and focusing mainly on those from minority communities for whom the education system does not deliver. Their core values support equality, diversity and the capacity for human capability to go beyond expectations. Ultra Education run primary and secondary school programs, after-school clubs, and weekend workshops for children and young people. They also work with charities, housing associations, and other private and public sector organizations to deliver entrepreneurship courses and programs. Ultra Education CIC are also the organizers of Europe's largest kids' business fairs held biannually, and in November 2017, they hosted their first ever Kids Business Award Show. Julian started his first business at 18 years old and has a background in technology and investment banking. He is also the best-selling author of three business books and has co-written three university degrees in entrepreneurship and launched the UK's first mobile game for kids entrepreneurship called Startup Dash and YoBuddy, the world's first youth business marketplace. He has been the entrepreneur in residence at some of the UK's top schools and is pioneering the integration of entrepreneurship into the curriculum. Amongst his numerous achievements and awards, Julian is the winner of the inaugural Virgin Unite Founders Awards, endorsed by Sir Richard Branson. He is also a Freeman of the Company of Entrepreneurs, Fellow of the Royal Society of Arts, member of the Association of Business Mentors and Shakespeare Globe Council. is also the co-founder of UK Black Tech. Julian has been honoured by the British Citizen Award with a Medal for Services to Education. Julian, welcome to Diversity Matters. Thank you for having me, Mike. Great to be here. Now, I would love to start because you had quite a long introduction. You've done so much. Uh, one of the things that was mentioned was that you started your first business at 18 years old. Talk a little bit about that and also the fact that your background is in technology and banking. Sure. So when I was 18, friends of mine, we were kind of watching TV. My girlfriend was there with me. She had just uh, graduated from the London College of Fashion. And back then we would look at the musicians on the videos on the TV and kind of admire the clothes that they were wearing because we couldn't get them. You know, we, we couldn't <laughs> go to the local shop and buy the same clothes that we saw the musicians wearing. So, you know, the kind of R&B singers and the rappers and that kind of stuff. 
So my girlfriend with her newly acquired skill said, well, actually, she could make some of the clothes that we saw. And I was like, oh, wow. How much do you think you could make them for? And she said, well, you know, she had to make up a tracksuit or a T-shirt or a pair of jeans or whatever. You know, fabric doesn't cost very much, talking £20 worth of fabric. But then in my mind, I thought, well, if you could make it for £20, I could sell it for 100 right? <laughs> so... <laughs> that was solving a problem for us because we wanted to look cool on a budget. And I realized it would solve a problem for our peers, you know, the white, our wider group of friends and young people across London. So that was our first business. And so we would go to, we call them all days back then, but festivals today, um, wherever, wherever there were large gatherings of young people, we would show mm. up with the clothes that we made. We made, you know, we made hats and clothes and t-shirts and, uh, and all sorts. And we would show up with what we made. My girlfriend would design them. She taught us how to sew. There was about seven or eight guys who she had taught to sew in a one-bedroom flat in Stonebridge. Oh, We've wow. got sewing machines and overlockers, and she would design them. She'd get the patterns. We'd cut the fabric. We'd put it together, and then we would take maybe a thousand pounds worth of clothing. We'd go to these festivals in these parks across the country, and we would sell them. And that was our first business. Wow. Amazing. I'm assuming from there or whilst you were doing that, you were you were studying and you mentioned you have a background in in technology and, and banking. Yeah. So in parallel, whilst all of that was happening, I had two emerging passions. My very first passion was technology. So when I was seven, eight years old, I really wanted a, a Commodore 64, which is an, an mm -hmm. old school, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, computer. Uh, which some of some people listening might remember, but my parents couldn't afford a Commodore 64, so they got me a Commodore 16, which which had a whopping 16k <laughs> of memory. And I remember, you know, my parents, part of the Windrush generation, came straight from the Caribbean. They weren't computer literate, so they got me what I'd wished for and just kind of pushed it in my direction, as if to say, "Don't expect any help from us. We don't know how to use this thing." I didn't know how to use it either. I remember turning it on, connecting it to our TV, and I just started typing stuff. I didn't know what the hell I was typing, but I just started typing stuff. And then I would go to the local newsagent and buy computer magazines that would have the code for games in there. So we're talking games like bat and ball and very simple one-dimensional games. And it would take me about half an hour to type in this code and to then therefore play a game. What would then happen was if I had typed in the code incorrectly, the game wouldn't work. So I had to go back and see where I made where I made the mistake. And doing right. that a few times, I then started to understand code, which meant that between having to set up the computer myself, my parents didn't help me, then understanding how to look at code and to read it, to play my own games. At a very young age, I became really comfortable with technology. So that became a passion of mine. So that track is running then we have this entrepreneurial track that was running. When my entrepreneurial journey came to a bit of a, a halt, because back then, even though I had ideas, there weren't mentors, there was no support. I was figuring it all out on my own. And when I'd come to the limit of what I knew and none of it was working, I thought, okay, let me just go and get a job like everyone else. Um, stop my mother nagging at me. And so I fell back on that technology uh, skill that I had. 
and um, I went into technology in the land of corporates. So I started with um, started at GE Capital, then headhunted to Schroders, and then moved on to yeah. Society General. Barclays Capital and ended up at Morgan Stanley. So I had a career maybe for about 10 years in investment banking, essentially. However, in that 10-year period, I always had a side hustle. And the side hustle mm. was some kind of business that I was trying to get off the ground. I felt like Del Boy from Only Fools and Horses, right? <laughs> I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I was trying. You know, I was trying, I was learning, I was failing. Some stuff worked, some stuff didn't. And so for a period of my life, I was working nine to five in, in, in the land of corporate in Canary Wharf in the city, whilst I was trying to get a business off the ground. Brilliant. I guess that entrepreneurial mindset, did that start with the clothing? And then as you got into the technology, you started to think about different types of businesses that you wanted to, to start up? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, spot on. So what I'd realized was that technology could help to develop my entrepreneurial ideas. So whenever I was thinking about an idea, I mean, around the year 2000 is when the dot-com boom happened. So everyone mm -hmm. was thinking tech, right? Everyone was thinking websites. Everyone was thinking some version of kind of web 1.0, if you will, as was I. And so I was almost probably 50 to 60% of the businesses that I tried my hand at were, were, were digital in some respect. Brilliant. So I guess you uh, remember the times of uh, Netscape and Yahoo as, uh, as search engines. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, in fact, <laughs> I remember when the first time I came across Google was when Google was the search engine for Yahoo. So I remember being on Yahoo and their search box was powered by Google. It's the first time I'd seen Google and then Google became its own thing. So, yeah, I mean, you know, those days were were really interesting. I mean, I remember going back as far as um, having my first email address through a provider called CompuServe. And my email mm -hmm. address was literally a bunch of numbers at CompuServe.com, right? It was so way back. But um, it was exciting to me because I could see that this was going to do something different, that technology was going to change the way in which we lived our lives, in which we enjoyed our free time and in the way in which we worked. So it, it became a real, real passion of mine. Now you've since gone on to start Ultra Education. Tell me a bit about how that started, when it started and why you started it. Yeah, great question. So the first business which I started that actually worked, which, you know, what lasted for a few years rather than just a few months was a digital agency in Shoreditch back in 2006. So whilst I was working in corporate, the idea, one of the ideas that I had was if I'm passionate about business and I love tech, I was able to advise companies on all small businesses, one man bands and startups on their digital strategies at the time. And this would include things like um, Google marketing, SEO, website design and build and so on. I saw that I had a flair for it. I had some insight. Uh, so I got together with two partners of mine who I'd grown up with. One was in tech, another one was working for uh, an advertising company that was just about to be acquired by Google. And we got together and we started a digital agency in Shoreditch, 2006. Uh, I believe we were the first Black-owned digital agency in Europe back then. And that business, as great as it was, we stuck out like a sore thumb being in Shoreditch because we were mm. literally the only three black faces in Shoreditch. 
um, for the most part. And so we, we gathered some attention because of that. That attention then led to various organizations from corporates all the way down to schools asking me to go and speak about what we were doing. Mm. And, you know, to talk about entrepreneurship, to talk about tech, to talk about our journey. And I think what they wanted to really understand, and which is what a head teacher admitted to me, was that what are three black guys doing in Shoreditch? Why aren't you doing something more stereotypical? Why are you in tech? Um, why are you, you know, starting up your own business in tech? Today, that's a very normal thing. It wouldn't raise an eyebrow. But back in 2005, 2006, no one was really doing that. Not many people were doing that. So, when I would now go into universities, colleges and schools and talk about what I was doing, coming from this fast growing tech ecosystem in Shoreditch and Shoreditch adopting a very new way of doing business. This is when we're talking about kind of lean startup methodology, you know, doing mm -hmm. away with 50 page business plans, pitch decks, very fast growing tech startups and the way in which founders were wearing t-shirts and jeans no one was in a suit in in shoreditch it was all very different right however whenever i would go into schools colleges and universities i realized quite quickly that the very little that they were being taught or exposed to about business and entrepreneurship was at least a decade old mm -hmm. and i thought this is crazy the next generation of entrepreneurs cannot suffer <laughs> this type of education or lack yeah. of education i mean some of them weren't being exposed to it to it at all and the ones who were i mean i remember going into uh, a school and this was a good school who were doing a, a business project and they were literally being taught to read the articles of incorporation and to try and decipher it and work out what it all meant i looked at it and i thought I know companies who have raised millions who have not read that document, mm. right? So why are we getting, you know, 14-year-olds to read the Articles of Incorporation? It just blew my mind. So I thought over the next few years, essentially, I had a growing compulsion to solve this problem, which was the lack of entrepreneurial education for young people. And mm -hmm. then something happened. Um, my daughter, by this time, she was maybe six or seven years old. Uh, we had um, fr friends and family over for a kind of barbecue and halfway through, my daughter came out to the garden with um, her, you know, six or seven cousins who were about the same age. And she said, right, everybody, um, we've made stuff for you to buy. And if you don't have any money, we've made you credit cards, too. And I remember my friends and family looking at me like, what have you taught this poor child? And I said, actually, I've not taught her anything. I hadn't whispered any words of encouragement about entrepreneurship what happened was she was just absorbing what i was doing mm. she was looking at dad yeah. listening to me on meetings on phone calls and all the rest of it and she was replaying as a child would right replaying mm. what she saw the grown-ups doing and from that moment and coupling that with the fact that my wife was an early years teacher i realized that entrepreneurship if my daughter can pick up via osmosis this entrepreneurial um, mm. behavior that it could be taught and that if a child can learn you know complex musical instruments and languages by the time a number of them by the time they're five six seven years old they can learn about entrepreneurship mm -hmm. so those things coming together had this growing compulsion to solve the problem, seeing these experiences with my daughter, my wife having this early years expertise, we then pull that together and said, right, let's see, let's, let's see what happens if we 
start teaching entrepreneurship to children from seven years old. And that's where, that's the kernel of the idea. That's where the original idea came from. Brilliant. And how long ago was that? When did that first happen? So that would have happened back in 2014. So that was the birth Yeah, that would have happened in 2014. Yeah, so back then, so two, 2014 was the idea. We launched in 2015 and we started to deliver programs at the end of 2015. And tell me, how easy was it for you to actually get into the schools to be able to, to teach this? Yeah, great question. So we ran a pilot workshop for about 15 children out of a bookshop in Brixton. And I posted this on my socials. And then a teacher saw it. She asked me if we could come in to deliver a program at her primary school. We went and did that. I posted our experiences from that. I then got a call or an email from a secondary school who asked me to do the same thing. And so we, I actually didn't intend to go into schools. I just wanted to run Mm. clubs. So the original idea was we would just run after school and weekend clubs. So like, you know, you might send your kid to football or piano lessons or Spanish, whatever it might be. The idea was it was called the Ultra, Ultra Kids Club was the original was the original name of the company and the idea was that we would just run after school and weekend clubs but we promoted them on social media and then schools picked them up so the answer to your question was that um, they came to us schools came wow. to us as they still do so it wasn't difficult to get in because you know it was the other way around we were we were filling yeah. the demand essentially and that's interesting because I often think about the school curriculums, which to some degree seem a little bit outdated. And I say that because when I think about black history as an example, you know, there are not enough things taught to kids around black history. I've often felt that, you know, if kids understood more about history, even even Windrush, right? Even mm. what our parents came over and helped to rebuild Britain with some of the jobs that they did, if they understood even that, I think they'd probably have an appreciation for their own identity and may want mm. to, you know, aspire to to do great things. Now, you've managed to do that with kids through the work that you're doing. And my question is, have you been able then to make changes to the curriculum at some of these schools where actually this becomes a regular taught subject? Yeah, so it's a really interesting question, and this is what I've discovered. So when we first started, we were delivering mainly in uh, state schools. Then Hmm. I was approached by a number of private schools, private and boarding schools, to deliver in those environments. Um, I became the entrepreneur in residence for a number of private and boarding schools over the last few years. And what I realized was that in these private and boarding schools, entrepreneurship was already part of their curriculum. It was Mm. already woven into the fabric of what they taught. In the state schools, it wasn't. So, and I've I've been to the Department for Education and sat on roundtables discussing this very topic. And what the Department for Education would say is that the national curriculum is open and flexible enough for teachers to be able to deliver the learning outcomes in as many creative ways as they can. 
and that mm -hmm. may include entrepreneurship. There's a part of the curriculum called PSHE, which, you know, if you reach for it, could include entrepreneurship, but it's not, it's not explicit. So yeah. the challenge you have here is that if you don't have a topic explicitly in the curriculum, it means that teachers won't be, or schools won't be measured on it, and therefore it won't have a positive impact on their Ofsted, right? Mm -hmm. Some of that is changing slightly. There are a number of career measures which are now being measured by Ofsted, which at a careers level include some entrepreneurial aspects. Yeah. But essentially, to answer your question, the national curriculum does not explicitly have a consideration for entrepreneurship. And right. the work that we've done at Ultra Education, the work that, that other enterprise and entrepreneurship organizations have done around the country, hasn't influenced government to the point where they have included entrepreneurship as a part of the national curriculum explicitly. It's not been written in. And right. there have been many organizations who have campaigned for this. At, I mean, I've been to a number of different launches at the Houses of Commons and the House of Lords around this particular topic, trying to encourage government and lobby government, essentially, through um, APPGs for entrepreneurship and, and other cohorts um, of organisations trying to make that, move the needle on it, but it hasn't happened yet. Mm. And that's interesting because, you know, ultra-education has grown and you have, I mean, I don't know exactly how many kids have been through this. I can assume over the course of, you know, seven or eight year period, there's quite a lot of kids now with the business, um, the kids' business fairs that you're now running. Mm. I've had a look at your, uh, you know, website and seen some of the videos with, I'm just blown away by some of the businesses that these kids are starting. And I would have thought that that would have been a fantastic advertisement and promotion to the powers that be that clearly demonstrate that if you can provide the right resources and facilities and teaching to these kids about entrepreneurship and setting up their own businesses, that actually in the long run, when you think about this country in terms of creating jobs and creating enterprise, this is where it all starts and it can develop from there. Now, tell me, um, Obviously, you work with quite a number of schools and you run a number of different workshops. You've seen, I'm sure, many, many businesses start up as a result through young people and, and the youth. Tell me, are there any businesses that you've seen that have started up that have really wowed you in terms of what a child has started, the impact it's had? You know, what types of businesses are you seeing being developed through these kids? Yeah, I'll give you two examples. The first one is a young man who at 11 years old found that he had a flair for photography. Mm. And so he set up his own photography business. Um, his name is Talha. He set up a photography business called Take Two Photography. And this would have been within the last 18 months. And he's gone on to win about three or four awards in that time. He won wow. a Saatchi Gallery Award. He was awarded by, I think it was the Mayor of Ealing a few weeks back. Um, he was awarded by an organisation in Brent who gave him you know, money to update his, his camera equipment. He actually uses our studios here at the offices to, to do some of his photo shoots. And 
again, just recently, he was at another award ceremony and his portfolio, when you look at it, it's, it's striking. It's, it's the type of work you would expect to see from a professional adult, mm. not, a, not an 11 or 12 year old. <laughs> Wow. And when you ask him, what does he, you know, why does he do it? It's because he says that he can see the joy in people when they see a good picture taken of them. Mm-hmm. He can see what it makes them feel like. And he loves the fact that he can help them to feel yeah. great about themselves through, through taking a good picture. Right. And in the future, he said that he'd like to do like crime photography, CSI type stuff, right? Oh, wow. <laughs> and so, you know, he's been, a- anyone who comes across his business is, you know, is blown away. I'll give you one more example. Uh, another young girl, kind of nine years old, her name is Lauren. She, through um, the pandemic, you know, they had a really rough time as a family. This, uh, the, the, uh, the, you know, she talks about this story openly. Dad left the family home during the pandemic. Hmm. Um, it had a real knock on the family daughter then decided that she would write a book about female empowerment because she could see that her mother was able to use her resilience to help navigate the family through this Mm. awful situation that that they were that they were going through and so this little girl wrote a book um it's called um the journey of a powerful african girl she got it beautifully illustrated by a professional illustrator. She collaborated with another one of our um, kids called Bianca and Friends, who's got a range of black dolls, which are absolutely amazing. This little girl has gone on to, again, win a number of awards herself. Wow. She's from the Cape Verdean community. And they recently found out in the last, I think, three months that she was the youngest author from the Cape Verdean community in this country ever. And so the Cape Verdean community, hundreds of them turned out to celebrate this little girl. And when I went along to their launch, which was in Hammersmith about two months ago, you know, I, I was there, her teacher was there from her school. You know, I said some words and, you know, we had a little bit of discussion. And there was a little girl who was maybe no more than seven or eight years old who took the mic and asked Lauren, how did you write the book? Because I would like to write a book too. And when you look, when you saw that, it was just magical. You could mm. see that there was all these kids in the audience looking at Lauren as a role model. So now we're starting to shift what it means to be a role model. Because when you t- we talk about in our world's role modeling, you think about an adult, right? Mm. Well, yeah. we've now got nine and 10 year olds who are role modeling for children their own age. Wow. And so, you know, when you, and I can give you Example upon example, but those two are, are, are examples of, you know, kids who have in a short space of time found a passion, developed a skill. We've supported them. They've gone on to win a number of awards, not for the sake of it, but the knock on effect has now meant that other kids have seen it and other yeah. kids can see what's possible. So these are kids inspiring kids, basically. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think that that there is an unintended consequence positive outcome of Mm. our work i never anticipated that that's what would happen you know the narrative is always a grown-up inspires kids right that's always been the narrative you've got to get a grown-up in get a professional photographer to come in get a professional author to come in right because we now have so many kids we did this at our summer club last year which we hosted at brent council throughout the entire week we had about 10 
of our young entrepreneurs who came in to do sessions with their peers. They were the ones telling their mm-hmm. stories about their businesses, right? So because we've, so because the the difference in what we do, it's not theoretical it's practical we're actually getting the kids to set up businesses it yeah. means that they can be used as points of inspiration for other children that's incredible and you know i know as well that you know i mentioned earlier on about uh, the business fairs but i'd also mentioned that you have running um a young business awards program talk a little bit more about first of all the uh, the fairs how does that that work how often do you run them and then a little bit about the awards that you've actually created for young people because i think it's is it the first in europe or something or the largest in europe yeah so so our first kids business fair was 2016 in reed smith which was a top 10 law firm in broadgate tower and we had i think 20 25 young entrepreneurs in the space um exhibiting their products and services at the end of last year we had our ninth kids business fair which was at Wembley Stadium in the Bobby Moore suite and we had 140 so over a so we had over a six-year period we've gone from 25 kids in a space to 140 in a space Um, and exhibiting kids exhibiting not attendees exhibiting so we actually had about 2,000 attendees and about 50% of them would have been young people so and so, and we've got another event coming up in December. So those fairs came about because there was a point in 2015 when we were running about about six or seven different clubs around London. And someone said to me, you know what? It's great what the kids are doing in Wood Green and in Brixton and in Harleston and, and in Newham, but they don't know what each other is doing and neither yeah. does anyone else. And that's when I thought, well, let, let's bring them all together, right? You know, there are business exhibitions for grown-ups, which I've which I've attended on a number of occasions. And you know, I've I've been at the business show and I've spoken at the business show in the past. So I thought, well, why don't we do a kids' business show, kids' business fair? So that's mm. where the idea came from, and they they were extremely popular events, extremely popular. And so we've run we've run nine so far. We so we run them annually or once every or twice a year, normally like a mm-hmm. spring summer fair and a winter fair. Over COVID, we had an online fair, and so uh, April last year is when we declared that. Well, you know, we had a hundred kids at the one in, in in April, so we declared it was the largest youth business fair in Europe, which you know I, I believe is still true, and and we're growing, we're still growing. Mm. So. Yeah, so those fairs, um, again, are extremely popular. In 2018, we ran a uh, a Kids Business Awards at PwC, which was great. Uh, You know, PwC were a great support for us. And, you know, we had awarded a number of kids. Two of them uh, were then uh, showcased the next day on London Live, talking about their awards Mm -hmm. and things like that. And, you know, they got featured in their local newspaper. And a number of them have gone on to do, like, really, really big things so yeah and you know we're hoping to bring the awards back again we've got um the fairs happening uh again we've got fair happening in december and we're planning for for next year and so on so a, a lot of work but um yeah, yeah. what it does though is that it's and we we realized this at the fairs last year was that the fairs bring so if you think about 140 kids but those kids bring their parents their cousins mm. their aunts and uncles there are grandparents in the room 
And I remember at the fair in December, a grandmother came up to me. You could tell she was quite elderly. And she said to me that that was the greatest day of her life. Wow. Because she was seeing her grandchild doing something which yeah. she had never thought possible. And she was part of the Windrush generation. And I, mm. and, and you, you kind of, it makes you think about what the Windrush generation, when they came here, what they thought was possible, given all yeah. of the um, challenges that they had at the time. And for them to then see their grandchildren in the mm. Bobby Moore suite of Wembley Stadium with a business, for them must be like, we didn't think this was possible. We 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 didn't think this could happen, right? We had yeah. huge ambitions for our children and grandchildren, but we did not see this coming, right? Yeah. And so, you know, we the, the the heart of what we're doing is kids entrepreneurship, but the ripple effect goes a lot wider than that. Yeah, it does, and you're right. Bringing it back to the Windrush generation, you know, our parents came over obviously uh, to make a life for them and, and their children uh, with a view that their children would hopefully do better than they did. And then that would move on to the next generation. So to mm. actually now see that happening, it, it, I, I'm not surprised it was a, an extremely proud moment for, uh, for that lady. Must be a proud moment for you as well to receive this type of feedback because you're actually, you're changing the game. You really are, particularly amongst people from underrepresented backgrounds. You know, there's so much negative press, particularly around uh, black youth in the media. So I don't even know how much of what you do is really shown in the media. Maybe not enough of it. But this is changing the game, right? Yeah, it's funny. At the fair in April, there was um, a VIP who came along. I won't say who he was. And he said to me, when he took a look around the room, and this is, you know, it's pretty important VIP, he took a look around the room and he said to me, um, he said to me, the media should be here. And he said, I tell you what, what if you and I get into a fight, two black men having a fight, <laughs> that will bring the media along. <laughs> and it was a really yeah. funny thing, right? And it was just to say, you know, when it comes to black youth, the media do not shine a light on the positives. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, probably across the board, to be fair, it's, it isn't just black youth. The, the black youth is a is a thread that they know they're always going to get attention on. But we know we know what the media's like. Um, mm. You know, clicks are only gotten from things which seem shocking, seem disturbing, yeah. seem upsetting, trigger emotions. Right. Um, yeah. And that often doesn't happen with good news. It only happens with bad news. Um, which yeah. is the reason why we've always maintained a very strong social media presence so that the people know what we are doing, um, even if the media doesn't give us a platform. Yeah. Now, I now understand why you are known as the ultrapreneur um, with, everything <laughs> that, with everything that you've done. But certainly, um, I will just want to kind of talk about two, two additional things. One of them is the marketplace for the young, which is the Yo Buddy that has been created. And I'm assuming that that is like an outlet for these youngsters who create their businesses for them to be able to market and sell their products going forward. Absolutely. You, yeah, you've um, yeah. hit the nail on the head. It's exactly what it yeah. is. So 
the so again we're solving a problem for them mm. what's happened and, and it was actually a request that i'd had from parents over the years they had asked me can you create a marketplace you know like an amazon for kids businesses and mm. i just didn't have the capacity until recently to to be able to put something together um but again if we go back to my earlier our earlier chat around uh my comfort levels of with tech right mm. i could yeah. see that that request and see the problem that because essentially what was happening part of the reason why the kids business fairs were so popular is because those were the only those were the only activation points for the kids yeah. that's the reason why so many of them showed up because they were they didn't really have another outlet and uh, an obvious outlet would be online but they their products and their products and services would just get lost amongst everything else all of the other noise online so putting them all together in one uh, under one roof with one focus um mm. helps them helps to amplify what they're doing and you know we've got over 100 sellers on there over 300 products on there already we're, we're at the moment um just doing some master classes on product photography and product descriptions and how to sell online and different things so that it adds another tool to their skill set um, but absolutely, it's a marketplace that we hope to spin out, which we are, are really thinking will uh, solve a, a, a huge problem. But also from a consumer perspective, the vast majority of the products that our kids produce are unique. You know, you can't mm. find them anywhere else, right? Yeah. So even just for the average consumer, it's a place where they can discover cool and new and unique products. Yeah, that's fantastic. Now, the other thing that I've also seen, which I think is an absolutely amazing thing that you've created is the startup dash because if you think about <laughs> kids who are always on phones playing games what a great game to get into because this will not only teach them to become entrepreneurs and eventually to think about starting up their own businesses but you know it's all built into a game that i'm assuming is is teaching them along the way um, yeah so Talk so about again, that. Yeah. that yeah, absolutely. So I've got a son who's a few years younger than my daughter, and I remember being being in the park, going for a run, thinking my daughter's been inspired by osmosis, as it were. And I was thinking, but my daughter and my son, they're quite different. And I was thinking, so how would I get through? How would I start teaching this stuff to my to a child like my son, who was at the time about six years old? And as I was running in the park, I was thinking, what does my son do all the time? He's on his phone playing games, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just like every other parent. Like they all do. You know, right? <laughs> to, like they all do, to every other parent's yeah. dismay. And I thought, let me just take the path of least, of least resistance. If, if they're on their phone playing games, why don't I create a game that can at least introduce the concept of entrepreneurship, right? Introduce the yeah. terms, introduce some of the ideas. And that was the impetus for for Startup Dash. That was the impetus for the for the game, and it's been um, it's been played now in over two hundred countries. Um, we've got thousands of downloads and and, and kids playing it. Um, and again, we use it in uh, a number of our workshops with some of the younger kids. We've we've used the game in schools. Um, so it's been a really good tool to help introduce mm. entrepreneurship to to some of the younger kids. Brilliant. Now you have won numerous awards um, and achievements. I think one of the ways I kind of found you, which was on LinkedIn, was um, you being awarded the Virgin Unite Founders Award, right? And this is the first launch of it, right? This is the inaugural award. Yes. 
which is fantastic. What what's that founders award? What is it about? And um, you know, how many people had entered in at that particular uh, inaugural event? Yeah, so that award was to recognize impact organizations, organizations that have created impact within underrepresented, marginalized communities across the country. It was a national award. Um, There were, from what I understand, hundreds of entrants, perhaps more. And uh, the funny thing was that uh, when I first saw it, I I wasn't even going to enter because I was, you know, because I just had too much on, you know, Mm -hmm. um, people that have kind of entered award the award process it, it's a considered process you don't it's not just a few lines you've got to have a think about it and put some time aside and i just didn't have it at the time but a friend of mine encouraged me to do it so i did and i'm really glad that i did <laughs> because um <laughs> you know and and again if i'm honest you know i thought the award was going to be a bit toothless if i'm honest you know mm-hmm. uh, you know a lot of awards just don't have much behind them but this was very different, actually. Um, it was very different throughout the process w- for the shortlisted three organizations. They gave us a pitch coach. And even though I've pitched for years, this pitch coach helped me to refine my pitch. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I put my white belt on and I could learn some some stuff. So I was really thankful for that. I had I didn't think that we would win because the other two organizations that we were up against, I've got a lot of respect for and do some amazing work. So I went in with no expectations. I thought, worst case you know, I'm a runner up and I've made some and some a new network, mm. some new networks. There were some brilliant people in the room that Virgin brought together in the room on the day. And we won, which was, you know, it was a really nice surprise. It was a great boost to the team. And uh, Sir Richard Branson himself shouted us out across Facebook, Twitter and Instagram, which was great. Um, so having that nod from, you know, who's probably mm. regarded as, you know, greatest entrepreneur in the UK. Um, all of that was, you know, it, it was it was it was great. It was really, really great. Brilliant. Now, God, we are, we're coming up to the end of time and there's so many things I've not even spoken about. I mean, you have authored a number of books. I've actually bought two of them um, myself. Oh, amazing. <laughs> uh, you've <laughs> co-written, you. yeah, no worries. You've co-written university degrees. You know, tell me, where do you find all the time? How do you organize your day or your week with everything that you're doing? That is a great question. Um, so the answer is that I don't watch TV. <laughs> um, no. So I guess the, the real answer is that I would rather do the stuff that I'm doing than, you know, genuinely watching mindless TV or mindless mm-hmm. Instagram. So where people would have downtime, the reason why most people need downtime away from work is because they don't actually like their work right Mm. that's the reason why most of us need to separate from work because we don't like it um i'm in a fortunate position where i love what i do so i don't need to i I need downtime just to recuperate my just my, my brain and my body but actually a lot of the reason why i'm able to do it is because it energizes me right Mm -hmm. the actual the work of itself gives me energy and i would rather do that than go and do something mindless and it's not actually that much work it's just that what i've done has been different it's been unexpected Mm. if you saw me walking down the street you wouldn't you wouldn't think that i've co-written two degrees in entrepreneurship and you know if you look at all the stuff i've done even if i saw myself i wouldn't think i'd have i'd have done all the stuff i did right so it it's it's just that it's 
what I what I've done is out of the ordinary. That's the thing, you know. So I think what people are really asking is, you know, it's not so much it's not so much the the, the amount of stuff I've done, it's it's the difference. It's it's the amount of different things that I've done yeah. o- over yeah. time, right? But it's because I, I learn from it. I'm fortunate enough to be given opportunities to be involved in, num- in a number of these things, but also, you know, I, I protect my, my health is very important to me. So I make sure I get good sleep. I, you know, I eat well, I'm, I'm always in the gym because I want to, I, I want to remain energized to be able to do the work yeah. that I do. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. And you, know, you do so much. Um, many, many different services that are impacting education. I'm just wondering when when are they going to give you an MBE? You know, because <laughs> you're, you're, you're doing, I mean, you're changing the game, literally, you are changing the game. But tell me, what, what is next? What What's your next big plan? If, do you have one? Yeah, so the ambition that we have is to become a national organisation. Mm-hmm. So if you speak to me in the next five years, then we should have a footprint across across the country, and yeah. exactly what that looks like. Not entirely sure because there will be a, a, there's a number of ways that we can do it, but that's what we want to do. We want to have uh, we want to be able to take the work we we've done and scale it nationally. There will be a tech component to that, so Yo Buddy will help us to scale. Um, there's a number of reports that we want to um, that we want to write because there's a unique insight that we've been able to. Ghana for under 18 entrepreneurship over the next few years. And we want to scale our kids fairs as well. So mm-hmm. we could, at the moment, the reason why we had 140 kids at the uh, winter business fair at Wembley Stadium is because that was the capacity of the venue. Right. right. <laughs> we, we, we could have yeah. had, we actually had 100 and almost 180 in the, on the waiting list. We could if we had a venue big enough, we could do 200, right? Mm. So now you're getting into the realms of proper, when I say proper events, I mean, I say that because we're not an events company, right? Yeah. But when you're talking about having 200 exhibitors, then that's a different level of events, yeah. if you will, yeah. right? And so that's where we are. That's what we're evolving towards. But it comes with, you know, more expertise, more cost, more time and planning. But that's where that's where we're going with this, right? Mm-hmm. It's just about finding a venue that's big enough, having a long enough lead time. I would like to say this time next year, well, I say this time next year, December next year, December 2024, potentially we'd have a kids business fair of maybe about 200 exhibitors. And we would take that kids business fair on the road, right? So we yeah. would take that event and use it as a point of activation in the major cities across the uk Mm. and so those are some of the ways in which we'd like to take some next steps we're thinking of doing things like um, a kids business fund so one of the barriers to kids starting a business is obviously you know it takes a few shekels and for the the most um social economically deprived families they simply can't afford anything right Mm. so um, we'd like to, and and even and for those who can to take their kids' businesses to the next level, they might need just a few hundred pounds or you know a small yeah. amounts of money. So we want to be able to put together a small fund, a micro fund, hopefully next year or the year after, where we can fund kids' businesses, you know, with 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 a few pounds and pence just to help them along the way. And then you know, once we've got to that point, then we can work out what's next. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I. Wish you and your family and the team at Ultra Education every success for the future. I think 
what you're doing is absolutely amazing. It's it's fantastic. Please do let me know about the the fair uh, this year in December. I definitely would love to come, and I'd love to get a few of my colleagues at work to come and see it, and even family members too. Absolutely. And I think yeah. What I've spoken to you about before is is hopefully I can get some of my colleagues to you know help you know volunteer their time yep. Um, yep. to provide uh, support where we can more than willing to to do that but um that'd be amazing yeah jules you're absolutely an amazing person um i want to thank you for having me it's a it's a real pleasure and i really want to thank you for joining me on the show and sharing this fantastic work that you do and as i said i wish you every success going forward thank you mike thanks for having me on the show and uh and best of luck with the podcast thank you very much okay you take care okay bye-bye okay bye you for joining us on this episode of diversity matters we hope that through our discussions we have brought a deeper understanding of what equity diversity and inclusion truly means for each of us remember that the journey to a truly inclusive and equitable world is ongoing let's continue to champion these values in our lives and strive for positive change together If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to like and subscribe the show on your favorite podcast channel. And we look forward to joining us on the next episode. And remember, inclusion, equity and diversity matters.